okay. We good? Sure. I'm going to quit mm. photography. Why? It's no real point in it anymore. Oh, for the love of... Okay, hey, this is episode 43 of On Taking Pictures. We're a weekly podcast. We haven't said this in a while. We are a weekly podcast. We're here each and every week uh, talking about the art, the science, sometimes the philosophy of making pictures, right? I like making pictures. <laughs> the pictures. Yeah, the pictures. Uh, my name is Jeffrey Sidoris from FadeAndBlurred.com. With me, my favorite fancy photographer, Mr. Bill Wadman, Mr. William George Wadman. You like the long name, you think? I don't know. I'm kind of waffling between just the Wadman and, and Bill. I, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> you know, then I could be cool like uh, uh, Kappa or, or Chim yeah. or um, Man Ray, you know, or Keatley. Maybe, yeah, well, Keatley's awesome. And yeah. I, you know what? I had, I had breakfast with Mr. John Keatley this morning. I heard. Uh, very nice. Uh, first time we'd actually met in person. Uh, just an absolute sweetheart. Could not be uh, a, a nicer guy. Really, really cool. I am not surprised. Yeah. So we uh, we went out to the 101 Cafe, which is a uh, very cool little coffee shop in Hollywood, and uh, had a very nice breakfast. So thank you, John. I really appreciate it. You're so hip. <laughs> no. You're so connected. You're so like no. in tune with the scene. No, not at all. There's a scene and you're in it, my friend. <laughs> no. Yeah. I am. I am merely at the kids' table of your cool kid party. If the scene was a Crutzen photograph, you would be the guy with your head down in the cross section. That's all no, I'm saying. No, I would be driving the smoke machine in, in, in the Crutzen photograph. I'm seriously going to buy a smoke, smoke machine. I was looking at one on Amazon this morning. Are they expensive? No. 30 bucks. Really? Yeah. You should. You think? I would like to have one. Just, I think though that if, if I do it here at the house though, I'll just end up having like this layer of weird smoke <laughs> crap all over everything. Because I think that's what happens, right? Like it's this fluid and it, yeah. I think so. Because that stuff eventually settles, right? Right. But if you want to get that nice volumetric lighting, sometimes it could be nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's that's the idea. But uh, Why not? Eh, well, you know, lots, lots, of, lots of things in the, in the works. We'll see. Good. Um, but uh, I'm glad you had, you know, here's the thing. You had this this great chat this morning and you're all inspired and, and working it up. I'm super cranky today. So this is going to be an interesting combination. This will be interesting. Yeah, I, I am ridiculously inspired. Right. Uh, the, to, to the point where, you know, I've got this, this kooky grin on my face and uh, I, I just am making lists of now things that, that need to be set into motion. Uh, it was a really fantastic conversation. I, I just... I, I I can't thank John enough for it. It was really good. That so, is uh, good news. You know, speaking of of great conversation, Bill. Yes, Jeffrey. Uh, There's a lot of great conversation going on on the OTP Google Plus community. Yeah, you know, we start this thing last week, and then 150 people add themselves. Right. Or so. Right. What are we up to? 141 yeah, 100, pictures. 141, 141 people. Um, and people are posting. People are commenting. Yeah, People are asking great. questions and pictures, and it, it, we actually have a, a little community going on, and it's working. Yeah, it is, it is fantastic. So if, you're, if you've not yet uh, joined the Google Plus community, uh, you can do a search for it, and there will also be a link in the show notes. Yes. But uh, please, go join, tell your friends about it. Uh, it's, it's really becoming 
pretty vibrant and and there's some really interesting discussion um there's some great questions and and really great constructive commentary being uh being written on on the forums there do you, do you think that the 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 level of discussion is where you want it to be i'm yeah i'm i'm really happy with it okay. i'm 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 thrilled that people are are posting and discussing with each other and we can kind of chime in where we like to or or kind of stay out and see where it goes on other discussions and it's it's really interesting it's it's really interesting to see uh what people are finding difficult about photography what people are are finding resonates with them about the pictures that are being posted and and what doesn't resonate yeah. with them and there's both there's both of those things going on you know it's not just this sort of flicker great shot love fest kind of thing people are going look you know this this i really like but this part doesn't work for me or what right. were you thinking here yeah. and it's it's very constructive and it's very respectful which i'm 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 very pleased with i think it's uh, also interesting the uh, different types of work that are up there there's all kinds of stuff up there mm-hmm. um yeah so thank you guys keep it going and you know friend of the show caroline davis also wrote <laughs> was it the, the where where the bitch is at yeah <laughs> Uh, I wonder if our listenership is really that heavily shifted towards men. And if so, what can we do about that? Cause there's tons of female photographers out there. Really great female photographers. Yeah. Actually. Most of them are better than the men. So, you know, Ann Curry, for example, Ann Curry, who but, still has yet to join the group, sadly. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll work on it. Um, <laughs> But you see what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, no, I do. Nikki said something about it. She's like, you know, there, there are only two other, three other women on it at the time that she said this. I don't know what there is now. But, so I wonder uh, what we could do about it. You think you have I ideas? don't know, but girls with lenses, get on board. Come on, join the group. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that would be good. Uh, all right, so what are we talking about today? Uh, what do, let's see, where do we want to start? Um, this safe stuff discussion, I think, is interesting. You want to start there? Sure. Uh, you put this in the notes about your, your safe stuff. Oh, so you want, you want me to start is always, well, <laughs> it was, it was based upon an email that we got the other day, um, saying that like when experimenting that, you know, the, the, the old adage that you should, you should do some, some safe stuff and then experiment at the end, you know? Get, now, get, is this pertinent to when you're on a shoot? Like, okay, we got we've got what we need. Yeah, here we are taking pictures of Jeffrey Sidoris, and all yes. right, we got the pictures that the magazine will like. Now let's try to do something else. Um, and I, I mean, I everyone does this whether or not they're thinking about it, as far as mm-hmm. I'm concerned. Um, but I, the point I wanted to make was that it's it's a very binary thing right either stuff is your safe stuff or it's stuff that you don't feel safe doing um but just to, the the idea that that safe zone should be constantly expanding it should be expanding or or is that just the nature of it uh, i think it naturally does and if it's not then you're probably doing something to stifle it you know mm-hmm. uh, or need to look at your process a little bit but I think that just naturally, you know, you get more tools in your tool chest, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or in your your uh, 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 your Batman tool belt, as, right. you, as you like to wear with your underoos. Um, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Under my garanimals. <laughs> um, I, you see what I'm saying, though? Yeah. Uh, well, you, let, okay. Let, 
back up just one sec. Let's use your, your December project. Uh, there were several photographs in there. Uh, in fact, I would, I would argue the majority of them, from what you've said, you were pushing in some different directions, whether it was a, 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 a subtle nudge or in the case of something like meditation, uh, a, a pretty s- stiff jolt in, in different directions. Okay. Do, do any of those experiments or, or directions that you tried, are they now part of your safe stuff? Or, or is, do you have to do those things repeatedly before they become part of it? Or is it conscious at all? Um, hmm. I think that when it comes to the kinds of stuff that I was doing that wasn't safe, it was more technique sort of um, compositing questions, more technical mm-hmm. areas that were... I don't know if this is actually going to work. Like I'm going to take these pictures and I'm going to go home and try to put them together and it may or may not work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that when for, for me, the funny thing about that kind of stuff is that you're almost never taking the same picture again. Right. You, sure. You know, here the picture of that guy standing on the wall, right. You know, I, I'm never going to take a picture of a guy standing on a wall probably ever again. The techniques that I use to make that picture may be useful in another context, but I'm never mm-hmm. going to do exactly that same thing again. So it's not like, oh, we'll just do that classic Bill Wadman guy standing on a wall shot that I've done 43 times. Right, right. Where there are some, you know, portrait photog- studio portrait photographers where they're just like, oh, that classic lighting setup I used on De Niro is, you mm-hmm. know, that I'm sure become uh, more sort of uh, stable Parts but of, maybe of maybe thing. you tried a new way of masking or a new way of color right. correction and that those, become part of your toolbox. Yes, exactly. Okay. Right. Okay. Right. But that every time you go out there and try something that you haven't done before for one reason or another, you know the limitations. You know what you're trying to do. You know, you, you're trying to get the light a certain way. You know that last time you did this, you had a problem because her feet were too X. And mm-hmm. so you got to remember to make sure her feet are off the ground more or whatever it is. Right. I need to make sure that I have a shadow behind her on the ground so I can pull that shadow and stick it on something else. You know, that these kinds of thoughts. Right. Um, so, the, the, you know, there's sort of tips and tricks and sort of this laundry list of things that you worry about. Um, that keeps you keep adding up because of things that went wrong the last time you don't want those things to go wrong again, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so with the the composite fancy stuff, as it were, I think that for that kind of work, doing it over doing a bunch of different things, experimenting is as much about building confidence as it is about building tools. Okay, sure. I can see that. Do, do you make a conscious choice then to sort of up the difficulty of each of these new things? Or, or is, it, is it more important to refine, refine, refine the safe stuff? We've talked a little bit about refining right. earlier. Uh, I think in those cases, it's about just as a part of the nature of the beast of that kind of thing is that you're going to be doing the basic stuff. The more, the more fancy stuff will include the basic stuff. It's a superset. Of mm-hmm. it, right. So I try to do harder and harder ones and wonder whether or not I'm actually going to be able to pull it off. And and most of the time I am, you know. And so uh, let me make sure. But, that's, I got but this. that's my personal work. So if I was right. asked to do that for some sort of ad or something like that, 
Right. Um, okay. But I, you're saying in in essence that that upping the difficulty for yourself will also improve the safe stuff as almost as a byproduct because that that subset is included somehow yes. or can. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. You know, okay. If 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 you're using if you end up getting up to using four lights, well then you're naturally using one light. <laughs> Also, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you're using mm-hmm. singular lights. Um, just it's, that's more of a metaphor, right? Um, sure. But, you know, if you're cutting things out and layering things over the top of each other, well, you know, you're going to be doing that all the time. You know, the more difficult it gets, the more you sort of get into those places where you don't really know what to do or don't know how to get around a particular problem. And maybe, you know, the final product isn't what you want it to be. Maybe it's a little uh, rough or kludgy or, or, Oh shoot, this isn't going to work. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to fake a shadow from this other thing I add so that it covers up the fact that I couldn't get that math to work in her hair. Right. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, that stuff happens, you know, and I'm sure that stuff happens to really serious people too. You know, I mean, it's the thing about the kind of work that I like to do, uh, half of the work that I like to do the more personal stuff is that it's about problem solving. Mm-hmm. Individual portraiture is not to me about problem solving. That's about relationships. But this, this more wacky stuff is about problem solving. You like know? the drabbles or like yeah, the that December. Kind of stuff. Pro- yeah. Okay. yeah. That that stuff ends up being about, Ooh, can I actually, I have this idea. Can I actually pull it off? Let's start building, you know, let's get some wood out and start cutting it up. Right. Uh, which is well, kind of how you, it is. You're using these things as vehicles. You know, there's a, the stories that, you know, if you look at each Pixar movie, each Pixar movie is really a technical exercise for something. Right. And, that, and that's what the, the, the preview things generally are. You mm-hmm. know, oh, Monsters, Inc., we need to figure out how to do hair. So the, pre- right. the exactly. little short before it is all about hair and feathers or whatever it is. Right. Right. Um, Right. That's exactly it. It's, it's like a proof of concept. And if I got hired on some job for 50 or $100,000 to do some ad for some big giant company or an ad campaign, and it was all the kinds of things that I'm doing, like that uh, ghost story thing, I would go shoot those shoots before I shoot the shoot. <laughs> you know? sure, sure. I would go do tests. Right. Previs the whole thing yeah. on your dime, not yep. theirs. Yeah. yeah. Let's get people together and see if I can actually make this work. And, oh, is that light going to work? And, oh, if I light them from behind, is that going to make – oh, no. See, the problem is that the fence behind them molds into their – you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, we got to remember to have another light over here because this isn't going to be enough. And 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 then you're learning, you're learning the specific watch list for that shot because every shot has its own like sort of peccadillos, you know, the, the, a subset of the – problem list mm-hmm. um and so you can you can kind of you can ferret out the issues before you actually have to do it for real but those those are few and far between at least in my world um, those types of gigs yeah the kinds of things where like it's to the point where i really need to test stuff beforehand i mean most of the time it's like okay i'm shooting portraits of somebody i can do that without figuring out what kind of light i'm going to use you know um i just thought it was interesting the idea that what is safe to you might be terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that the whole concept of, oh, because by saying, oh, you, you know, take the safe stuff and then you can experiment later makes it sound like the safe stuff is automatically going to be boring. But that might not be true. That's, that, that's a very personal analysis. 
Sure. Well, and, and even within your you know, safe stuff, quote unquote, uh, there are still explorations within those techniques that you're comfortable with that you can refine or expand on. Yes, true. You know, with, without going to a whole new process or a whole new sort of uh, uh, creative direction, if you will. Yeah. And, and sometimes like I'll look at pictures of mine and, and, and they won't come out, they'll come out a seven and not a nine out of 10, you know, from, mm-hmm. from my point of view. But I'll feel like that in some ways when judging it, and this isn't true, but in my head, I kind of think, you know, there should be some sort of difficulty quotient on this picture, you know, like, yes, it's a seven out of 10, but that was a really difficult thing to do. Okay. So it gets multiplied by this factor. You right, know I mean? right, right. Like anyone could do a really perfect straight dive in. It's the triple backflip thing that is the hard part. You know? Right. So, that, you know, like in the Olympics when they do that, it's like, okay, yes, it's the, it's how well you did the dive multiplied by some sort of difficulty factor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, coefficient. Um, just kind of when, funny. When you're doing these things and you've, and you've got this sort of, I don't know, uh, idea in your head about how you want to go in a different direction. You've, you've got whatever shoot it is in the bag and you want to go different. Do you have to physically rein yourself in or do you have a, a, a set of things that you're willing to try going into the shoot? Um, I don't tend to uh, imagine what kind of crazy stuff I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's usually that that if if it's something that is experimental then it's probably not something that i would have thought of beforehand you know right and is, is that is that allowed as much as it used to be on on client or commercial shoots it seems like one of the things that's happened to photography is uh, and and again i'm kind of on the outside but it's in talking to a number of different photographers primarily editorial there are sort of preconceived notions of what the shoot's going to look like right. or what they want the shoot to look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're going in because some art director or creative director or creative team have already sort of pre or mood boarded this whole shootout and, and you're co- going in sort of facilitating that. More commercial and advertising stuff? Yeah. Okay. Is, is, there, is there room then for this experimentation to allow these happy accidents to occur like there used to be? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I did that, um, that ad for Gillette razors, right. With, with Craig. Okay. The one with Craig. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's like they had laser cut sheet with metal and, and the initial idea was that the letters were all going to glow, sort of like be backlit and it was going to glow out to the sides. And we shot that and it looked great. It looked exactly like the comp that we were working from. I mean, it looked better than the comp because it was real, but it was pretty much what the comp was. Was the comp provided by the agency or did Craig generate the that comp? That was Craig's thing. Okay. Yeah. And then but that we had were, been approved by the agency. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And then so the idea was, okay, let's make this real. And we did and it looked great. And then we started playing with other things where we put another sheet of steel behind the letters and sort of had shadows going in where the letters were and mm-hmm. lighting it from the side. And I didn't particularly like the look of it, but in the end, that's what they went with. So it can happen. Um, but, and, and that, that second take of, of adding the second sheet, that was something that, that you and Craig 
came up with outside the brief. Uh, that's what the art director and Craig, the art director wanted to do it. Craig and I were like, eh, okay. Craig was more enthusiastic than me. I didn't mm-hmm. like it at all. I still mm-hmm. don't like it. But that's, you know, it's not my, I'm a hired gun at that point, you know? Sure. Um, what, what kind of bothers me about those kinds of situations is that we were there to do the thing that everyone, way more people than the three people in the room had approved, you know? Sure. And we did those things really well. And then they go using something that was just sort of like a, a, a throwaway kind of playing around at the end kind of thing. And it was just kind of like, you know, in the situation where you do that and it's like, oh, my God, that's amazing. That's so much better than the other thing. But when we shot it, I was like, eh, that's okay. You know, I guess an mm-hmm. extra shot. Yeah, well, that's fun, I guess. But they're never going to use that. They're going to go use the other thing. And then they go use that. And I was like, wow, really? <laughs> Not what I was expecting. Um, so, I mean, that stuff happens uh, mm-hmm. for like editorial stuff for like magazines and that kind of stuff. If I'm shooting portraits, I pretty much do whatever. They look at my work and they say, Bill knows what he's doing. So Bill goes, takes pictures of Joe Schmo and brings them six or eight pictures and, you know, final pictures. And we choose two of them. And those are the ones we run with. Usually those kinds of situations aren't really specific unless it's like, oh, for the cover of the magazine, we want to shoot on a white background because of X, Y, Z. Right. That happens sometimes. Is there one, is there one thing that's easier than another for you in terms of you acting as as not only photographer but editor saying look here's the one i think we should go with versus giving up six or eight pictures and then one being chosen from those by someone who's not you uh i usually say my vote would be for this one that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what's going to happen though mm-hmm. uh, in fact a lot of times that won't happen uh, or they're not going to listen to me, which is a little frustrating. You know, it's harder in in advertising, commercial stuff, where there are so many people that have to sort of put their stamp on it. Yeah, it's a weird. See, advertising is a weird thing because you are a hired gun and you're getting paid well because you do what you do. But at the same time, a lot of times they've already got the direction completely sussed out when you walk in the door. Right. That, well, that's kind of what I was getting at earlier is, is you're facilitating the comp. Yeah. As a general rule, there isn't a lot of space for creativity in advertising photography. Mm-hmm. You know, the creativity comes before the ad, before the shoot. Because, you know, if you are there, it's you, an assistant or two, lights, studio, producers, you know, makeup people, wardrobe, whatever it is, you can't not get what they had planned before you know it's sort of right. like this there's there's too much on the line to not get to not have it pre-visualized and to not right. know exactly what we're doing and too many people holding the brief saying this yeah. is wrong and this then needs to yeah happen. and on top of that the, the 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 clients and those kinds of people who are sitting there kind of thinking you know we're here to see bill make this thing that we you know we're paying him to make this thing so where is this thing you know right Sorry, we don't, we don't want to see, yeah, we don't want to see this. Exactly. Right. <laughs> like, what the hell is that? That's not what's on my Palm Pilot. Right. Because they all have Palm Pilots. Do they? Is is it 1982? <laughs> it's, it's either Palm Pilots or Blackberries. 
<laughs> yeah. And then they all say how they have better cameras than I do. I'm like, well, you must, you make more money than I do. So that makes perfect you should. sense. <laughs> they all roll up with medium format cameras. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's, I just, so anyway, I just think it's interesting. The idea that your safe stuff is always expanding or should always be expanding, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, shoot your safe stuff, but that doesn't mean that your safe stuff that you're shooting now is the same safe stuff you shot a week ago. Yeah, this this kind of gets us ago, yeah this kind of gets us back to gets us back to what we talked about last week that I think we can there's still some more room to dig on that and that th- this idea of you can you, you can try to get you can try to be good or you can try to be different mm-hmm. uh, but I don't know that you can that you can do both it, it, okay. two weeks ago. Um Heather and I went to see a uh, dance performance. Did I talk about this last week on the show? Yes, the Paul Taylor thing. Yeah, but did I, did I talk about the dance thing on the show? I don't remember. Okay. Anyway, I, I saw – we saw a a dance called Vespers, which was uh, by a, a choreographer named David Genkies. I think his name is, last name. And he was a Paul Taylor guy in the nineties and, and, and it was being danced by a couple of the Paul Taylor current people and it was wonderful and it was inspiring and it was just exactly the kind of art that I would always want to make. It was beautiful. And I'm not a a huge dance fan. Wow. Yeah. You know, every once in a while you see things in other media that are just kind of like, that's exactly what I want to do with what I'm doing. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, that level of creative expression. Yeah, it was yeah, it was okay. it was moving, it was wonderful, it was whatever. So anyway, I get home and I send emails to the two dancers whom I know and say, you know, great job. And I also have the need to go find the choreographer who it turns out teaches at UC Davis uh east of San Francisco. And uh he emails me back and it turns out that he actually lives in New York City and flies to San Francisco to go to UC Davis once a week to go teach his classes. Right. And so we set up a lunch last week and, and, and David and I met up and, and had lunch. And, you know, this gets back to that concept of how at a certain level, once you get past, you know, shutter speed and aperture and the fact that I click a thing and he moves around on his feet, our jobs are very similar. Sure. You know, the, the creative process is similar across all these things, which is why I think a lot, I mean, a lot of the people listen to our show, I don't think they're even photographers sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's more about the creative journey and trying to get from here to there and how you go about that. And and, and sure. What happens in between here and there. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So he and I had this long discussion about, you know, dance in today's world and, and how things are changing in dance versus how they're changing in, in, you know, Dance and photography are very similar, you know, that that people who had their companies set up in the 50s and 60s when modern dance was huge or like now have these huge endowments and they can survive through good times and bad. And, you know, they've been around for 60 years and, you know, that kind of stuff. Sure. And just like the Jay Maisels of the world now. Right. Uh, where nowadays it's a little bit different with all that kind of stuff. Anyway, we got into all this big talk and we talked about like his students and we talked about people uh, trying to make their way in a world that doesn't have a whole lot of slots for people who are trying to do what they're going to do. You know, there's mm-hmm. a whole lot more dancers than there are professional dancer jobs. Right. You know, um, probably Which is very similar to photography. Exactly. Like, or like painting or writing or <laughs> like yeah. any of these things. Right. Yeah. 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 
And we were talking about trying to get good. I mean, right now, like I said on the show last week, I have my background on my screen. It says, be so good they can't ignore you. It's a Steve Martin quote. And that that's fine. The, 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 the thing that Dave and I kind of came to though, this conclusion was that if you're trying to be good, you're never going to be good. That, that the way to transcend it's, it's, it's a very sort of Buddha esque kind of thing, right? Like in, in order to find enlightenment, you have to stop searching for it. Does that make sense? Sure. That, that Bill, are you saying that you, you must unlearn what you have learned? Yes. Thank you, Yoda. <laughs> and, and no, but it's, it, I mean, it's true, it's true in some way, right? You like, yeah. I, I can't worry about trying to get better. What I need to do is just go shoot. And by doing so, I will get better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that, that too often people are spending their time watching their progress. You know, it's like, uh, Sometimes, you know, you open up your 401k and you like watch it mm-hmm. as if it's going to change day to day, you know, and yeah, sure. it'll go up a hundred bucks, go down a hundred bucks, whatever it is. But like, that's leave it alone. It's not going to do anything. It's like watching water boil, you know, um, yeah. or watching Twitter followers or Facebook likes exactly. or any right. of this new stuff where you're assuming that that means you're good. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean you're good. It just means you're popular. Exactly. Right. And, and, and even, you know, okay, popularity, whatever it is, but like, it's, it's that, that, that just put your head down and put the work in because mm-hmm. that's ultimately what's going to make you better. The times in my life that I have worried about being good versus the times in my life when I've just stopped worried about it and kept doing good work. It's when I was doing good work that I actually moved up on the scale, you know, the, yeah. di- the, the, the climbing between the plateaus happened when I wasn't trying to when I wasn't trying to get better, I just was getting better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's something that people forget nowadays. I think it gets lost in this hoopla of, I don't know, what kind of hoopla does it get lost in? <laughs> well, it gets, it, it gets lost in all of the noise that says that all you need is this, this, and this uh, to be whatever it is you want to be. Yeah. The, the, the examples have become, in many people's eyes, the rules and not the exceptions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just because so-and-so got picked up out of college and got a pro NBA contract or so-and-so got a record deal because they got found on the internet, that, that's fine. But that's not going to be you odds on. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and really, you know, and it, it, it's kind of interesting that this, John and I were talking about this this morning and he approaches his work as it's a lot of work and it's hard work. And I take it very seriously. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, and I've heard you say those exact same things. It is work and you have to do it. You have to, you know, dedicate yourself to it. Which is why when people are very flippant about my work, it's like a little bit of a sting because it's kind of like, oh, you have any idea how hard I worked? How yeah. much energy or, I put you know, into that? Go watch the Avedon documentary of him, you know, lying in a hospital bed in his studio, still making photographs. Yeah. Sure. Because he was driven. This, this is what he had to do. Yeah. You know, and I think that level of I have to do this has been romanticized to the point where it's now been lost. Sure. And there are very few people out there who have to do 
something, whatever that something is. But is there a point with that when it's just that you're doing that to prove that you're hardcore? You know, you're not hardcore unless you live hardcore. I mean, I'm sure there, there are examples of that, but I think posers as it were. Sure. But I think that at least for me, the people that I really respect, I hope that I'm able to see that they're doing it for the right reasons. I hope that I'm able to see that they're genuine in their approach, that they are uh, honest in their resolve and that they're doing it for uh, improvement and, and, you know, respect for the craft, right? whatever that is. I mean, that's, that's the other thing is that that David and I were talking about just the idea that you know, people will will say to you, oh, it's so wonderful that you do what you want to do, do something you love and what you want to do for a living, you know, and it's kind of like, and, and, but there's always this asterisk after it, right? There's always this sort of like, but you shouldn't be able to make a lot of money or you should suffer emotionally or, you know, it's yeah. like, you should be able, it's so great that you're doing what you're going to, what you want to do, but like, it shouldn't be that easy, <laughs> you know, almost like you, you should have to feel pain, right? You need to pay for that. And, and, you know, sometimes you do in yep. one way or another. Oh, believe me, I do. You know, it, it, but it, it really comes down to intent and purpose for me. Whatever it is that you're doing, love it. Yeah. If, if, if you love selling insurance, then go do that and love it. If you love writing, then go do that and love it. If you take pictures, then go do that and love it. Don't worry about how many people are following you, how many people yeah. are leaving comments. And I'm yeah. guilty of this too. I mean, we, we've spent, you know, three years trying to build Faded and Blurred into something that, that we're proud of and we are very proud of it. It doesn't get nearly the traffic of something like, you know, Petapixel or, or F-Stoppers right. or, or some of these other DPS, you know, Digital Photography School. But I'm very, very proud of our little site. I'm very proud of, of where we fit. Right. You and know? you should be. It's wonderful. No, thanks. But it's, you know, I, I'm proud of that. I, you know, and I'm never going to be, you know, an amazing photographer that people look to as an example of great photography. And, I, and I'm fine I, with that. Do you that's know not, that? That's I do not... know that. I do know that. Okay. Uh, simply because that's not where my passion lies. My passion lies in, is, lies in talking to people about their journey, about their process. That's what, that, doing this show and doing other shows where I'm interviewing people, where I'm finding out what's going on behind a photograph, behind a painting, behind a piece of sculpture. That's interesting to me. I love photography, but I don't see that as my primary role. You know, I'm sitting here in my apartment in Brooklyn and um, it's getting dark out because it's, 430, 440, and it's really gray outside and raining anyway. And so it's very dark in my apartment. I'm lit only by the monitor, really, right? I mean, I could see out the windows, but there's not a lot of light coming. Sure. And um as I'm sitting here, I was just I was just looked down at my hands and I realized that my hands are getting old looking. They're aging. Sure. Um Wrinkles getting deeper, spots becoming more prominent. Yeah, like like what happened to you like 30 years ago? <laughs> there it is. <laughs> no, but... I okay. can't even feel my hands anymore. <laughs> um, but I, my point being, I was going to get philosophical before you pulled me off track. 
Um, yeah, I, I did that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I like the way in, in keeping with you and your, um, you're talking about the site just then. It's mm-hmm. like, I like how my hands look and feel now. Does that make sense? Sure. I, I'm in my late thirties. I'm what? 38. I think 38 is a really good age. You know, like I'm happier now than I was a year ago when I was 37, 37. I felt like I was getting old 38. I feel like an adult somehow in mm-hmm. some really weird way. Well, it'll pass. Is that what happens? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, I just, I don't know. I just, it's, it's, are you, are you saying that there, I mean, it's a, it's a comfort level in, in where you are. Like you're looking down and you're going, these, these hands fit me. I'm not happy with where I am. I'm happy with who I am. Okay. That well, that's arguably more important, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I'm I'm dis, I'm unsatisfied with where I am. I'm very happy with who I am. Um and sometimes that 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 difference is is frustrating, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, cuz you feel like you should be more or less or whatever, you know. Um I don't know, it's just it's it's just interesting something I just noticed. A uh, quick story. <clears throat> uh, when quick story about Sting. Uh, Sting grew up very poor. His father was a milkman, mm-hmm. uh, and and grew up in Newcastle, where they used to build these enormous ships, which he kind of adopted as a as a metaphor for his life, because they would build these ships and and they would sail off into the ocean, uh, never to be seen again. And that was kind of his life. He he became big and and you know metaphorically sailed off never to return. And when his father died, he uh, went to the hospital. And and the story that he tells is is uh, he was holding his father's hand, and they had the same hands. And he, and and he, Sting says to his father, and they'd never had a, a very good relationship. Sure. Uh, and Sting says to his father, you know, we have the same hands. And his father says, but you've done so much more with yours. And it was like, oh, <laughs> that's <laughs> right. Yeah, that's uh, always a really heavy. The whole father, the whole parents thing. Yeah. I mean, you and I have talked about it on the show. Um, it's especially maybe fathers and sons. I don't know. There's something about that whole game. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I mean that, and that plays into our discussion here in the sense that, you know, by a lot of, by a number of measures, I've exceeded where my father was, you know, in his life. Sure. Um, you know, if, if you look up Bill Wadman, you're going to get a whole lot more of me than you do of my father. Mm-hmm. Well, I would I would argue that your happiness quotient is higher than his too. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know, um, but based on what you've said, yeah, you know? I guess perhaps, yeah, underneath, underlying, so yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but the, but there's also this this idea that um, you know the whole you're trying to you're tr- the, the parents want their child better for their children than they had themselves, mm-hmm. um, and there's a point at which you grow up and you realize that you are at that part of your life where you're achieving what you're, you were in that part of your life where you're, where, where it's your, it's your time. 
To come into your own kind of thing? Yeah, to make your yeah. way in the world. Sure to, sure. to make your mark. And you have to choose what it is you want to do with that time. Um, and for me, that choice has been a bit of a struggle to make the kind of pictures I want to make, right? Because that's, that's what I've chosen to do with my time. Sure. And I, and I constantly question whether or not that, that is the right move, you know? Whether making the type of pictures that you make or making pictures at all? Making pictures at all. Wow. Okay. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I am. I, I enjoy photography. Uh, I think I'm good at it. Um, I get frustrated like anyone does in the photography world and trying to make your way in the business of photography. I don't mm-hmm. like the business of photography. I like photography, though. Um, well, I mean, the business and promotion and, you know, uh, perpetuation of, of your brand, would, yeah. w- you know, that it's now become, that's, that's a very different beast than the core of why people make pictures or why people are drawn to photography Yeah, for most. W- would I be better off if I like taking pictures, not doing it for a living? I mean, there's some people on our, on our podcast, um, I mean, I, I've, I've said a number of times, like, I, I don't like weddings, for example, right? So I would never be a wedding photographer. I know people who love weddings and are great wedding photographers. I know people who hate weddings and are great wedding photographers, you know, right. or, 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 you know, architectural photographers or, you know what I'm saying? Like there's people who do all kinds of stuff they don't really like doing or they love doing on both sides, right? I happen mm-hmm. to love taking portraits, um, I wouldn't take portraits if I didn't love doing it, even if it was the right thing to do from a money point of view or a success point of view. Uh, I just don't, I, I, I did not get into this to do the, to, to not do the kind of work I want to do mm-hmm. or rather to do the kind of work I don't want to do. I did not get into it to do that. Um, so I've sort of made this, this, this choice, uh, to do this now, you could say that that maybe that that is all wrong and 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 th- trying to be an artist in today's world is a is a folly you know i don't agree with that at all you don't agree with it no why no, because you're all high from your breakfast a part of it yeah that's <laughs> I'm, I'm just i'm still riding the john keatley wave then then yeah. give it to me bring bring me um, up it, okay cuz i struggle with this, this all the time okay i'm 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 going to go off on this sort of romanticized tangent about creativity. Um, the world has become very difficult and to a large degree, it has become ugly. And what I think what creativity brings to the world is the sublime side of humanity, the sublime side of human nature. It, it allows us to create beauty or to attempt to create beauty for no other purpose than we want to see it. And, I think that's where, where art separates itself, pure art anyway, separates itself from commerce is it, it is, it is for its own enjoyment. And I think the people that are really doing it and are really doing it well with regard to photography or, or writing or painting or whatever, whatever, they're doing it for themselves and they're doing it for the art itself. You know, I think great filmmakers are making the movies they want to see. Right. I think great painters are, are painting the works that they want 
to see. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but if I stop believing that, that there is some sort of greater good to going through that creative process, then I become completely lost. Yeah. You almost, I mean, have, to, I mean, you almost have to believe in artistic God. Yeah, you do. I mean, it, it, you know, I, and it's, it's, it's often. And that's not a religious statement. No, 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 no. And I'm, and I'm not, I'm not taking it that way, but it, it, it has gotten to the point where it's day by day where I have to remind myself. And it's not that I'm, that I'm trying to be better or different or stand out in some way. I'm just trying to be. Hmm. I'm trying to be the person that my mom always saw in me, not the person that I see in the mirror. Interesting. You know, because she always saw the good in me. She always saw the potential in me. She always saw that I could accomplish whatever I wanted to. I don't see that most of the time. It's funny. I have the exact opposite experience. Really? I'm I'm trying to become the person that my father never saw in me. Okay. Okay. So it's just, it's just interesting that like yeah. we're coming at it from exactly the opposite sides, but the goal is still the same. Yeah. I guess, I guess my thing is that for so many artists, th- there's the artistic struggle mm-hmm. of all of this stuff that we're always talking about. And then there's often the economic struggle. Absolutely. The sort of the, 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 the tangible struggle versus sure. the intangible it's, struggle. <laughs> it's a power play, man. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they are vying for control. Yeah. Uh and and I and I wonder and sometimes I feel like, you know what, for these people who are going through so much angst trying to make what they're trying to make, at least they shouldn't have to like also be trying to fight to eat, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Um like there's some there should be some sort of artistic monkhood, you know, <laughs> where it's like <laughs> Artistic monkhood. <laughs> Is that Great. bad? It's a, it's a room full of, of Wacom tablets with Tuvan throat singing going on in the background. Requiem. <laughs> uh, by the way, I'm totally putting strings underneath your little soliloquy back there. Oh, come on. I'm, I'm doing it. That was beautiful. Uh, you're making fun no, of no, me. No, no, no. I'm not. Well, okay. I'm making fun of you, but that was beautiful. Oh, thank you. Um, I, it's, Man, I just... Oh, sometimes I wish I could get inside your head and feel the way that you feel. Uh, it's a mess most of the time. <laughs> well, look, I, you know, you and I talk online here and we have thousands of people listening right now. And then we have other times when we talk offline. And we, we the funny thing is, is that it's we don't we don't block ourselves out on when we're live as it were. Yeah, no, it just we talk kinda, about the same things on or off. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, this is, this is one long conversation that just keeps going. Yeah. And I mean that in, in, in a really good way. It, it's, it's, it's just a discussion that goes in and out and it goes personal and professional and family and all the things in between. Because look, all of those things are important and they're all connected True. True. You know, what, what, what is the, say, the, 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 the adage, nature abhors a vacuum. Yes. 
I used to have a, a physics teacher in high school used to say, um, um, nothing sucks. Everything blows. <laughs> to which we used to say, well, Mr. McGuire, your, your physics class both sucks and blows. <laughs> thus, thus proving the, yeah, poor guy. Oh, apologies to Bill's physics teacher. Yeah. I don't think he's listening. Um, uh, it, hey, let's shift gears for a minute. Let's, let's lighten it up a little. Okay. Can we, wait, can we, can we talk about my BMCC experience? That, that is, that's, <laughs> it's, that's different than your BFF experience. The BMCC uh, experience. Yeah. That's exactly where I wanted to go. You, you and Claude got to play with some really cool gadgets. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, okay. We, Claude, Claude's kind of the man, right? Yeah. Claude got his hands on a black magic. What are these things called? Black magic cinema cam. There you go. Uh, which is a 2.5 K body with an EF mount, or at least the one we were playing with had an EF mount. So a cannon mount. Um, and, uh, and it shoots raw video. Mm. And it's just buttery, isn't it? Yes. The, the footage is beautiful it can shoot ProRes, and we're going to video out a little bit. In fact, we were actually laughing Claude and I, as we were walking, we may end up doing a bonus episode. Uh, oh, you should all about this about on moving pictures. We're going to call it on moving pictures. Oh, the three of us awesome. will do a, a, a one episode video talk. Okay. Okay. I kid you not. I, I hand to God. Uh, on the on the drive home from breakfast today, I Nikki and I talked about. I said I'd love to do like a three part or a five part something about moving images with Bill's friend Claude. Yeah, you swear should, to God, you should totally do it, and you should call it on moving images. That's that's uh, that's good. Okay, uh, or on moving pictures. On moving pictures. Yeah, that's great. Uh, he's yeah. So Claude got his hands on this thing, and so he also got his hands on the fifteen millimeter Zeiss Prime. Hmm. Uh, which is this big honking giant piece of glass. <laughs> so we go into the park and uh, we, we were just messing around with it, trying to get some footage so that we can go home to try to play with workflows a little bit. The reason I bring this all up is that this camera doesn't shoot video. What it shoots is a pile of DNG raw files. <laughs> So at 30 or 60 FPS. Yeah. A, 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 24, uh, a, okay. a, a clip on this camera is not a file. It's a folder that includes frame 0001 frame 0002 frame 0003. Wow. So for a, I think it was a minute and 40 seconds. We had 1800 frames and these are, you know, 2,500 by whatever raw files. That you're trying to have Lightroom crunch out into a stream. Right. So the idea, which, you, which I guess, I mean, there are a number of ways to deal with this. The way we've started playing with is, is playing with them in, in, in Lightroom to, to, work, to get the highlights back and exposure and color and blah, blah, blah. Right. And then say, export all of these out as JPEGs and then bring the JPEGs into, say, Premiere as, as, a, as a sequence. Right. And it works. And apparently there's another way to do it involving uh, uh, After Effects or something um, that can be done straight from the DNGs. But uh, really the way you want to do this is using the Blackmagic software, which is called... Uh, DaVinci? DaVinci. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is really crazy high-end software that apparently comes with this thing, right? 
Uh, oh, it the, comes with the the camera. It comes with the camera when you buy the okay. camera. DaVinci Resolve, yeah, that's what it's called. Um, and so the cool thing about DaVinci Resolve, and 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 Claude was telling me about it, and he's like, well, you know, because we're building him a new Hackintosh. Yeah. And which is uh, going to scream. Yeah, it's going to be really fast. So Claude says to me that that what you need is uh, DaVinci Resolve. You need uh, 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 multiple video cards. I'm like, what do you need multiple video cards for? Like, it didn't make any sense to me, right? Like, this is genius. Right? So I go home and I start doing some research because we were going to buy him one of these. And we're going to get technical for a minute. Uh, have a drink. Kevin. Yeah. Go get uh, a coffee. We're going to talk about gear. So Kevin and I not, can go not drink gear, a shot. But computer components. Yeah. I, we were going to get him this. Six six. This is this is to prove that I still have chops in the technical world. There you go. We were going to get him one of these GTX six sixty Ti's, which is like this newer NVIDIA video card. It's not the top top end. It's a couple steps down, but it uses the same chip as the top end with a few things turned off. Uh, still very fast, about three hundred bucks, and plenty of horsepower for what for what Claude wants at the moment. Right, or so I thought. <laughs> right, it's plenty of horsepower for uh, doing Premiere. Because Premiere will use CUDA cores to do uh, rendering of not rendering, but like when it's playing back and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It'll use like transitions and yeah, real time. It'll use yeah. CUDA cores to do some of those, uh, doing the things using that Merc- Mercury playback engine stuff, right? So it turns out that the Blackmagic uh, Resolve, DaVinci Resolve software actually uses video cards as processors. In, in the sense that you would have one video card that's actually hooked up to a monitor and then you might have another video card or two or three that are solely there to be used as chips for DaVinci Resolve to run calculations on. Right. Just internal. So there's there's nothing coming out of them right. into a monitor. Right. They're right? just okay. it's like processor daughter cards is essentially what they are. Right. Sure. It's just, so what you really want to do for this is one of these GTX 680s which is a $500 card, which is sort of the, the sort of top end normal card. I mean, they, they make the 690 now they make this Titan and whatever, but this is like a very good card. And the guy on the black magic forum said that it'll do, apparently it'll do basically what we were doing in Lightroom in real time where he can make changes to that, to those raw files as they're playing mm-hmm. and he not can, hiccup or stutter. Or- exactly. Yeah, yeah, and apparently it has something to do with how many nodes of changes you put on top. Apparently, a 680 can do up to like four nodes at 24 frames a second. So okay, I here's here's what's funny to me about this is you've got this $500 video card yeah. that that is an amazing solution for a very high end video processing workflow. Yep. Yeah. But 90 percent of the people that buy this card are playing Call of Duty 2 on it. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'd like the idea that it's you're you're not buying a fancy high-end workstation card. You're buying the gaming card. Yeah. Cuz the gaming card is actually faster than the workstation cards for what it is. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a it's a heavier duty processor, you know. Um it just it just kind of cracks me up. Yeah. So, so anyway, we're going to get this stuff and you know, I was, uh, my friend Evan was over the other night and he's a he's a big uh he has a uh, degree uh, a, a degree he has a phd in computer science from mit so he's he's a he's a bright fella and i said you know it's funny like situations like this are one of those few 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 times that uh you that horsepower is still required 
you know, so much of all the stuff we do now could be done on a laptop. This is like one of the last things, the last bastions of horsepower. Right. Outside of gaming. Sure. Outside of gaming and outside of like, you know, modeling the weather, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like photo stuff you can do on a laptop. Like, I mean, you know, if you have a powerful enough laptop with enough RAM and you're not doing too crazy stuff, like you can use a laptop. Yeah, you know, I mean, the, the built-in, the HD 4000 graphics now? On Nikki's is fine for what she's doing. Fine for yeah. what she's doing, right. absolutely. Um, and it's it's just kind of funny to me that, like, you know, Claude's going to spend $500 on his video card, which is more than his processor and his RAM cost. <laughs> you know? um, anyway, but he just, will be able to play Call of Duty 2. <laughs> yeah, but later, after, after he's done with DaVinci Resolve, he'll be able to play Call of Duty 2. Anyway, right. I just brought it up. The other interesting thing about it was we had the – so we had the Zeiss lens on there, and this thing has a small chip, and I think it's a 2 – or two and a half crop factor. So a uh, 15 millimeter lens ended up acting like a 30 plus seven. So it ends up like a 37 mm-hmm. millimeter lens. So if you want to do wide, you have to go really wide. And if you wow. put a 50 on there, it acts like a 125. Oh, wow. Right. You see what I'm saying? Now, is he able to use all those lenses he got from NYU? Uh, not on There's this, a mount, right? I guess there is some sort of mount, but that not right now right now yeah. well just playing with it this weekend uh we were just using we use some of my ef lenses but you could control the iris you can like stop down and open up the iris of the lens using these because on on uh canon lenses it's all internal right the the aperture so you have to electronically control it and you can electronically control it but it wasn't working for the t- first two lenses we put on and we were like what the heck are we doing wrong then we put Wait, the so th- you you couldn't control aperture at all yeah like we'd be hitting the buttons and nothing changed Huh. So then we go and we put on my 51.2 and all of a sudden it starts working. And then we put the other ones back on and they start working. It's almost like, a, like a, you know, it is. It's, I think that the firmware just needs. Like it had to be initialized or something. Yeah, th- No, that, that they need that. There's a lot of bugs, I guess is what mm-hmm, I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just it was just kind of crazy cool using this camera that was putting out 2.5 K video as a stream of DNG files. Um just a very, very different way of working, you know? Yeah, that's wild. But the thing is, I'm sure that the ProRes footage would look amazing too because that's like 422. That's like pretty, you know, low compression uh, stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, just kind of cool. So I just yeah. thought I'd put that out there. People, people might be interested in that kind of thing. I'm excited about uh, uh, the idea of, of unmoving pictures. I, I kid you not, we were talking about it on the way home. That's great. That'd be really funny if you and Claude did a couple shows. No, like the three of us. I think oh. that would be great. Oh, I'm invited? Ugh. Thanks. <laughs> hey, you know, we watched uh, Kill Bill the other night. One or two? One. Um, on the projector. And uh, that's a, quite a violent film. And you know what I never noticed? You think? <laughs> what, what I've never noticed. You know, is that Tarantino, he's a fan of the blood. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize when I've seen it before that during the fight scenes at the end in the restaurant, right, where she's just slicing people away, especially right. when the hundred guys show up and she's just whacking at them for 10 minutes. Right. There are a number of cuts in there where it's cutting to zoomed in on film shots or film that's a lot more contrasty or was uh, uh, obviously underexposed and then pulled back up after the fact. And I'm wondering if that's just, you know, part and parcel of how they were working or if they did it on purpose to make it look more like Hong Kong stuff from the 70s. As fanatical as Tarantino seems to be about, I I would think the second. Yeah. Yeah. 
I would think that was that was a, a very intentional homage to these kinds of films. I would tend to too, but I, it's funny I never noticed it except until the other day. Uh, anyway, good good film. They man, they get that right. The 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 sound of the snow at the end when she's out with Lucy Liu. Yeah, I, that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, it is. Uh, anyway, I like uh, I liked one much more than two actually. Uh, I did too, but I haven't seen two more than like once or twice. So I, I kind of, now that we watch one again, I think we're going to have another viewing party and watch two. Uh, oh, did I tell you I saw side by side? Did we talk about that? Yeah. Uh, we haven't talked about you having watched it. Okay. This is the uh, movie we talked about 10 episodes probably ago. Yeah. Keanu this Reeves is the talking, Keanu Reeves thing. Yeah. Right. What'd you think? Uh, I loved it. Uh, I, you know, <laughs> did Christopher as- Nolan bother you too? He, yeah, he seems, he seems, he seems even more curmudgeonly than you do. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's going to go kicking and screaming. And I, I mean, I, I guess I understand what he's saying. For those of you who don't know, Side by Side is a, is a documentary that, that examines the transition from film to digital in motion picture production. Yeah. And, and, uh, Keanu interviews, uh, David Lynch, uh, Scorsese, uh, Chris Nolan, uh, a, a ton of different people, and, and George Lucas, uh, and, and kind of gets their thoughts on the state of the art in, in uh, digital filmmaking now. And look, just like it is in photography, digital is where it's going. And, yes. you know, film will become, whether, whether you believe it or, or like it or don't like it, film's going to become a relic of the past. It's going to become uh, looked upon fondly, but uh, the immediacy, the flexibility uh, of, of digital, I think, is, is you know, where it's going. Now, that being said, I, I will say I agree with Nolan's argument about archive and storage. That where is this stuff going to be in 50 years, 100 years? What's going to happen to film that's stored digitally? Because, you know, these things, the readers change or the software changes or, you know, whatever. That's that's a concern. Okay, so you make prints. But, I, you know, I think the I think part of the thing is at least the data, assuming that you can still get to the data, right? Mm-hmm. Assuming that it's not like we don't know how to connect this hard drive to a computer because we don't use this connection anymore. So right. you can get to the data these formats like JPEG and TIFF and the rest of it are very well documented. Sure. You know? Sure. I think, and, uh, I think part of that comes from living in a world at which technology was new mm-hmm. and the things that happened in the seventies and eighties and nineties were all so new that we flew through them so quickly, but the things right. are much more mature now uh, as far as, you know, the, the formats and that, some, at least, at least the final formats of this kind of stuff, because people are thinking about this kind of stuff. And the idea of cloud storage. So it's not going to be about whether or not you have a final version sitting on a shelf on some tape format that could be read. It's the fact that there's going to be an HD final master version up in the cloud somewhere that's going to get transferred from hard drives to photonic devices when Google goes and does their right, cloud right, services right. over. So I think it's almost sort of like, yeah, it's true, but is that actually a problem or is that a perceived problem? It's, I don't know. And that's, that's, you know, they're basing it on 
archaic technologies like floppy disks and, yeah. and remember the, uh, the zip drives right. and all that kind of stuff. But the, you, know, you listen to somebody like Scorsese talk. Here's a guy who, who is one of the most identifiable and, and respected directors in film, and he's okay with it. Well, I think he's come to the terms that you can't stop it. I mean, and I, I think that's the problem with Nolan is that Nolan's kind of saying, well, yeah, all the, you know, it's better and it's better. It's better. It's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Chris, it doesn't matter what you think. Right. It's going away. <laughs> Whether, yeah. no matter how much you fight and, and act like it's not, it's gone, you know, um, or it will be very shortly, you know, and, and I, I think that's a. The other day I was at CVS and uh, they had Coke on sale for 99 cents for two liters. So I bought four of them and I'm standing in line up at the front and I'm at the front uh, where the, um, the photography thing is where you can still get film developed, you know? Okay. They've got their little one hour, they call it a photo lab of some sort. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Apparently this is where people in the last century came to. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. In the last century, people came here to get their pictures developed. I don't know what this means. Um, (laughs) Anyway, and and we're kind of staying there, and there's this girl who's trying to, like, reach underneath us to what I thought were, like, candy bars or something. But what really what she was reaching for was she was trying to grab a disposable camera. Disposable film camera? Yeah. Okay. And, and I, you know, I said, oh, you know, Disposal film camera, you, you know, go, going going old school. She's like, yeah, I have a really good digital camera, like a Nikon D3300. <laughs> and I was like, okay. She's like, but I just like the way this looks better. And I was like, you like the way a little yeah. <laughs> dime-sized piece of plastic in front of the film looks better than, you know. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you, you know what? You can have what you want to have. But like, she had this like such a stuffy air about it that I was like, okay, hipster girl. Yeah. Welcome to Instagram nation. Exactly. Like (laughs) enjoy your film. And I'm not saying the film, look, I have film cameras, you know? Um, but I can't, even I was walking yesterday with a guy who has an eight by 10 Deerdorf and all these old, like 1890s lenses and all crazy stuff. And, you know, it's like I have all these – I have 4 by 5s and Hasselblads and Leicas. It's like, I can't, man, I haven't used my Leica in a year. Yeah. You know, I just I just haven't. And the, it's funny because the other night I was out – last Friday after I saw that Chim exhibit at ICP, I went and uh, uh, took that picture in front of um, Radio City. Right, which I love. Uh, thank you. And, uh, you know, I was just sort of – Except wa- for the, the shadow in the bottom left corner. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm just walking. <laughs> nice. Somebody actually said that. I have to check yeah. on that. Um, I didn't set that up. That's just how it was, people. I took what I could get. Um, and uh, you know, I, I pulled my camera out, and I was like, you know what? This is kind of cool from over here. And oh, look, they're bringing that cart in. Why don't I get some shots? And it was chaotic enough because it was like at seven thirty. You know, everyone's out of work. Everyone's heading somewhere. Um, and it was kind of cool seeing taking um, again i'm not a big street photographer you know um but as you said that reminds you of like the pictures of you know the saul lighter kind of thing you know that's Absolutely. that kind of look yeah and, it's a very like new york yeah shot of new york <laughs> yeah and even the guy yesterday the old school film guy who shoots Hasselblad and i'm helping him with computer stuff even he said wow look at the look at the dynamic range in there you shot this with a cannon 
because she he shoots Hasselblad medium format, mm-hmm. albeit like an older back. And it's kind of like, yeah, because you know what? This stuff has gotten really good. Yeah. You know, and this was handheld uh, ISO 800 F 6.3 at like a 40th of a second or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, this is just not- enough to let people blur and let a couple of the cabs blur, which was yeah, great. Right. But but it's you know, I wasn't I wasn't even really thinking about the settings all that much. I was just like, you know, hey, let's try to get this shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it worked and I pulled down some of this stuff, but it just shows you that like I don't need to use a Hasselblad to get a nice street shot anymore. Or I mean a Leica, you know. It's like you can get great shots. The 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 shot had nothing to do with the camera I was shooting it on, even though it looks like it could have been taken with an old camera. You know, you know, if if you like the form factor like you know what you should get um what's uh somebody i know just got one of these cameras get, get, uh, get you one of those fuji x pros those, those are those are the oh that's funny thing. i was going to say that new nikon <laughs> oh which they've Is ripped it off Did it come out? <laughs> um anyway uh, enough of that uh hey tell me about totally rad yeah, totally rad love them Rad Lab, uh, fantastic piece of stuff. Hey, you know what's interesting? I was just thinking as we were talking about the the BMCC thing. Yeah, Rad Lab works inside of Lightroom, so you could, in theory, batch. Ooh, batch like film look. Yeah, you could batch uh, like a a, 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 a Rad Lab preset over your Blackmagic footage, and that would look super cool. That would look pretty pretty badass. Yeah, you should uh, try that. What Do kind little... of? Well, tell me about their plugins. Uh, actions. Okay. For Photoshop and Lightroom. Okay. Uh, there's also their, they've got a, a package called Pro Retouch. So if you're a portrait photographer, uh, they've got some actions geared specifically towards uh, portraits and uh, taking care of skin and eyes. And uh, they're not plasticky, which is one of the things I like about them is they're, 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 there's a lot of flexibility. Each layer is masked. It's non-destructive. Uh, so you've got a lot of really from macro to micro control over what these things do. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the Rad Lab package does things on smart objects. So even if you create something, you want to tweak it later, you can double click on it, go back into it, edit the settings, and you haven't lost, changed, or destroyed anything, any of the pixel data, which is nice. Yeah. Um, it's, it's one of the only things that I use, actually. And they've got uh, a new package coming out a new app coming out for the iPhone that is basically going to be like rad lab for your phone. Well, Not out yet, neat. but, uh, going into beta shortly and, and will be out soon. Uh, and, uh, and we have a coupon code and what will, what will this get people? Uh, this will get you 15% off on anything. Uh, wow. so if you want, uh, the totally rad actions, volume one or two, you can get that. You can get pro retouch. You can get uh, dirty pictures, which is their texturing plugin, which is fantastic. Joey L loves uh, that one. <laughs> Wait, what? Joey L loves that one. Loves dirty pictures. Yeah. <laughs> he likes crunching things up. <laughs> we should just tweet that. Joey L loves dirty pictures. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, fourteen thirty-five OTP. Yep, is uh, is your code. And that'll get you 15% off. We'll put a link to the main site in the show notes. Yeah, I've and, actually uh, added a little uh, an ad to the right-hand uh, oh, column yeah. of the site. So if you go to ontakingpictures.com, over on the right, you'll see a, uh, a link over to Rad Lab. And uh, 
They're great, and we thank them yeah. for their support. It's a good, it's a good plugin, and uh, Doug Boutwell and his team are doing some really cool work. Go so get some, go get some fifteen uh, percent off. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, want, you want to do some some emails? Yeah. What do we got? How? What do we? Are we okay on time? We are. We've got about twenty minutes. Really? That's Left. plenty of time. Okay. Uh. So a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I guess, we talked about the, the Annie Leibovitz uh, first responders fashion photos. Those are so uh, beautiful. <laughs> okay. So there's another uh, – you, you, you posted this thing or, or sent this thing up in, in Huffington Post. Yeah. Sports Illustrated using uh, indigenous or exotic people and, and they've, they've been called racist for using them in these, in these swimsuit photographs. What do, you, what do you think on this? Uh, I don't, I think the, the one where the girl's on the raft and the Asian guy is pushing her, Mm -hmm. I think that one is like, okay, you know, that's, I wouldn't have done it, but okay. That one's okay. The one, the next one down where she's got the headband on and holding a spear as well. Mm -hmm. That's going a little over the line to me. It's, it's, it's it's not surprising to me. Yeah. It's, it's a little, I don't know. Um, it's, 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 I don't find them offensive. I just find the not addition... even insensitive. It's just kind of like gratuitous. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's just, it's extraneous. It doesn't need to be there. Yeah, no, uh, totally. So I, I just, uh, I just put it up here just because, uh, it kind of went in with our conversations from whatever. I don't know who's actually getting that upset about it. Yeah, probably uh, one or two people and the internet has blown it up. Right. But some people said, you know, an editorial decision that makes the quote unquote native people uh, tantamount to exotic props, which yeah. you know what is kind of true. But hasn't this always been done? Sure. You know, and not just by Sports Illustrated. Right. You know, uh, one of the things I do love about this article is the slideshow at the bottom of it that that shows the progression of Sports Illustrated swimsuit issues from like 1955 up. How much dirtier it's gotten? Yeah. 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 I mean, I I look at this first one, this it's February 21st, 1955. And I think that's a fantastic photograph. Yeah. 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 I also think it's funny because a lot of these pictures were taken by Jay Maisel. Were they really? Yeah. A lot of the stuff like in the seventies and the eighties, especially in fact, uh, like all the Christy Brinkley stuff and, and the, uh, L McPherson and all that. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of stuff. That's all Jay. <laughs> Funny enough. At- I, Cause I was at, I was at his studio once in his archives and there was like a big thing up on the wall and it was like 84, you know, SI swimsuit McPherson. And it was wow. like a, a, a big box full of, um, uh, of, of, uh, slides you know wow uh, look, at, look at jay you know it's funny i i when i was a kid you know when i was like in 13 and 12 whatever it is i used to you know you'd go sneak the copy of sports illustrated swimsuit issue or whatever and i remember uh i remember uh like i went home to my mother's house before she moved last year and i went through all my crap to throw a bunch of stuff out and i found a very old swim uh sports illustrated swimsuit edition Get out. No, and, and I remember flipping through and then noticing the, the the credits on all the pages and it was so many like half of them were Jay and I was just like <laughs> I was like how weird it is that like when I was thirteen I was staring at these in very untoward situations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And now I'm on a first name basis with the guy who took these pictures. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's, that's so, just that's really great. strange that how things change over the years, you know? Yes. Um that's funny. it's just 
crazy, crazy world. But yeah, anyway, we'll put those out there. Um, the, you, somebody put this, what is this, Michael Wolf? This, this is the privacy thing. Yeah. So this guy took pictures from like buildings across the way of people in their houses in Hong Kong. Right. Like here's some guy sitting on his couch watching TV. Right. And then he does, is, is he selling these things as art? Uh, I, I don't, I think so. What do you think about this? From it's a, a, it's a series called window watching. Okay. Yeah. And okay. First of all, I, I love the idea of the series. I, I think it's, I think it's really a, a fun. Conceptually, you think it's a good idea. Yes. Conceptually, I think it's good. <laughs> Legally or morally, how do you feel about it? Um, I think it depends on See, it's a weird area for me because we're seeing we're seeing a cross section of what he feels comfortable posting, not necessarily what he captured. So he might have shots of people having sex, but he's not posting those. Right. And so therefore you're giving him a pass? No, 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 I'm not giving him a pass. That's that's the that's the rub for me. Is that in order to get these photographs chances are you had to have seen some things that you really shouldn't have been looking at anyway. So, yeah, I mean, I, I could see where, uh, again, yeah, conceptually, I think it's interesting, but, uh, uh, yeah, in practice, I think it's it's probably a little over the line. What do okay. you think? I would never take this, or I would never do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see that it's. I could even though people across the way can see. Usually, my thing is that if you can see it on a public place, if a guy's walking down the street and take a picture of him, well, you know, if I was a really good illustrator, I could illustrate him. You know. Yeah, but that's a little right. different. Um. Uh, my feeling is that this is sort of like, you know what? You should know when not to take pictures. Mm-hmm. That's that's how I feel about it. Is that a reasonable sure. point of view? Absolutely. Uh, put it out to the to the listeners. What do you guys think? Take a look and yeah. uh, chime in. Uh, now, now, what is this other thing? You had somebody swipe one of your images? What is this? It's stupid. So I live in Brooklyn near this place called the Gowanus Canal, which is – between two things. And there's a pic, there's a big the guano canal. What is go- it? Guanus canal. Ah, okay. <laughs> it used to be a river. Then it got turned into a canal in the 19th century or 18th century. And then it got really polluted and no one goes down there anymore. And it's like a super fun area. Now it's whatever. The point is, um, I took a picture. The subway goes up above this area. Cause it has to go over this canal. And, and there's this big old sign for Kentile flooring above what used to be their factory back in like the 60s or whatever. And it's no longer that anymore, but it's sort of this very um, leftover of a bygone age, this sign. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is and it a landmark type of yeah, thing? Yeah, it's kind of yeah. thing that everyone knows what it is, you know, that kind All of right. thing. There was talk of it getting torn down or whatever it is, and there was an article in this blog called Gowanus Your Face Off, uh, <laughs> wherein <laughs> they're saying that it's not going anywhere, blah, blah, blah. But that's that's neither here nor there. What's here nor there is the fact that the picture that they're using is my photograph of the Kentile floor sign that I put on my – I just stuck – it was like a – it might have even been a cell phone picture that I took and stuck on my blog last year. Okay. And then down below it, it says photo credit on taking pictures. And it links over to the post that I 
put it up on my website. The question is, should they have done this? They didn't ask me. They just did it. Like I have so it what? in notice because, well, so what? What if it wasn't a blog? What if it was a bigger blog? What if it was Huffington Post that suddenly used my image without asking? What if, what if it is? They're using it on a, on a blog. They're just, they're linking to, so what? There's maybe no I, money may, changing hands. Okay. Maybe I don't agree with what Gowanus Your Face Off is saying. What if they're a right-wing blog that's whatever? And I don't uh, agree with it politically. You know, shouldn't I, shouldn't I have some say in where my images go? Uh, if, if I, I want, if I believed that it should be used by whoever, wouldn't that be just, okay, it's creative commons. You can use it with attribution. My stuff nowhere. Does it say that it's creative commons? You can use it with attribution, you know? And I may have yeah. said, yes, I just think that it's crappy of them to not even ask. Yeah. I get, I don't know. You don't think it's a big deal. No. See, I, this upsets me. No. I mean, look, this, this is, you know, this is, uh, hmm. this is not that dissimilar to what we do on Faded and Blurred. We'll find photographers that, that we think are amazing and we'll talk about them and yeah, post their work. Yeah, but this is like, look at this great picture by Bill Wadman of this thing. This is just like, hey, we're going to use this as an illustration in our other article. Okay. So do you, is it the content that you have an issue with or the, because it sounds like there are two different things. I think it sets a bad precedent. Okay. So somebody can go take any of my pictures and just stick them up as long as they link back to me? Um, well. I don't like that. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I yeah, want a little really. more control over my stuff. The other day, somebody wrote me and asked me because they wanted to use one of my motion pictures. You know those things on Facebook where people put quotes over pictures? Uh, uh, sure. Yeah. And they wanted to make one of those with one of my motion pictures behind it. And they were asking me for permission. And I, and I said, no, I'd rather not, you know, I, I, I'd rather my pictures be my pictures, not like, Oh, that thing behind that quote that became famous. You know what I mean? You don't want, uh, you don't want your photos to become some sort of unintentional meme. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. I get um, that. But those people asked, you know, and I had the option to say no. Would I have said no to these guys? If they said, Oh, this is a great photo of this, of the sign. Can I stick, use it on my blog? Cause we're doing this article about whatever. Sure. Yeah. Link back to me, you know, but the fact that they didn't ask bothers me. It's sort of, mm. it's sort of like somebody, I don't know. It's like somebody swiping something from me somehow. I, I, I think in this particular case, it's, it's much ado about nothing. Uh, yeah, it just bothers me. I don't like the idea that people just take my stuff. You know what? Maybe I would have charged them $5 to use it on somebody else's thing. You know, I don't hmm. know. It just bothers me. All right. That doesn't it bother could... you at all. Nope. Yeah, you're a better man than I. Hey, uh, what was Mitch's question about smiling? <laughs> well, I don't know. I you you put this in here. I, in I our, didn't find it. You sure? I think you put it in here. Uh, was that always? Maybe it was on the uh, what's it called? Something about smile. Do you prefer smiling in portraits or not? Yeah, or getting people to smile. Yeah, where was that? Because I, you know what? Good question. See, now Mitch is going to be mad at you for not knowing what, what, he, what his, his well, question is. Well, you know, here's part of the problem now is that we have like 12 different places where we have people talking. <laughs> That's true. Uh, and how do you deal with that? Uh, I don't know. Here, let's, here, let's see. You know, people, man, people love this site. This thing that we're doing here. The, the community, the G plus thing? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's very good. Uh, I don't know. I I don't ever ask people to smile. Here you go. 
Uh, just curious if others have noticed that new models seem to feel like they shouldn't smile. I have three or four sh- shot three or four beginning stage models, and they all seem to try to remove all expression from their faces. Anybody else find this happening, and why? And I think that it's people trying to be all Tyra Banks. Okay, first of all, it's not new models. Look at any runway show ever anywhere. Yeah. They don't look happy to be there. Well, especially fashion models. Your job yeah. isn't your job is to be pretty and be a hanger for the clothes. That's your job. Yeah. Um I I never ask people to smile. I mean, I guess there are pictures in my thing of people smiling, but usually that's just a natural thing. I remember um Timothy Greenfield Sanders once told me he never asks anybody to smile. He never tells anybody to smile. And it's funny because if you look through his 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 set of images, his portfolio, it's almost exclusively people not smiling. I think the only picture he has of somebody smiling was like of Hillary Clinton sort of to the side smiling. And it must have been just an offhand moment mm-hmm. when he was like, oh, that's good. Snap, you know. Uh, but that generally I think when people are smiling, they're I feel like they're trying to put on a show, which – if they're modeling anyway, like being a model, well, then maybe they are trying to put on a show. You know, I mean, that's part of their job, right? Um, but I, I don't know. I, I think that um, I don't know. Do you like people smiling? Nope. Yeah. I, I well, okay. Here's the thing. Let me qualify this. I like people laughing. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Yeah. But I think a, a smile too often looks forced. Whereas if you catch someone mid smirk or mid laugh, that that speaks to a little more honesty. Yeah, it has to be a natural smile, not like cheese. Right, 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 right. Which Bert loves to say, by the way. <laughs> uh, but uh, be, beyond that, I I like just natural expressions. Just you know, as if I caught you between moments. Okay. I think if that, I you know. I think that that is I perf- perfectly agree. Um. Let's see, Hugo Sharp uh, wrote in talking about print editions and how people used to, or still do, fancy people, uh, will print, say, five of a certain picture of a certain size, and that's all that'll ever get made, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that certain people like me will charge less for an unlimited print run. I have done limited edition prints. I have sold out maybe once in my life, a single right. image. I almost always, but people don't buy a ton of prints from me. Well, I, I think people don't buy a ton of prints, period. Period, yeah. yeah. Um, I, 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 I like the idea of doing less. Even somebody said, you know, yes, it's true that photographs are infinitely repeatable and reproducible, and I can make a million copies of that photo of, of uh, uh, Radio City. But you mm-hmm. know what? How many people actually do make a million copies? Right. You know? I've I've made one print of that Radio City print and I put it on my wall and I like it and I was thinking you know what maybe I'll do a ser- like a a set of ten prints and sell them. Uh, what what if there was some sort of archival? Okay, I'm, I'm just gonna this is gonna probably sound really stupid, but uh, what if there was some sort of archival file format that you could save out an image in this format and somehow each time you print it data disappears. I have considered before doing prints and then deleting the original. Yeah. Yeah. Where you, you, you know, if you, by the time you get to, to print 50, you know, th- there's, it's, there's starting, you're starting to degrade. There, the image yep. quality is starting sure. to, to go away so that you can't. It's like the number print. of times you play a, a tape or a record. Right, 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 right. 
that, that's, that's kind but of interesting. Isn't that what me. we've been trying to get away from with, with digital is the, the, <laughs> this, this degradation? And it's like now you want to bring the degradation back for artistic Well, no, purposes? it would be a specific – it would be like you could save these things out at, in not everything that you're doing. But if you wanted to do a limited edition digital print, it's in this particular file format and, and you can only ever do – I don't know. I guess it's silly. I don't think it's a silly idea. I think it's a great idea. Uh, I just, I don't know how we're going to do it. Well, that's kind of like that weird book that you showed me. Yes. Uh, Agrippa. Yeah. That by William as you, as you read it, it was, yeah, he made several, they made several analog copies of it. And, and the copy was graphite that basically sat on the surface of the paper. So as you turned the page, the letters would literally fall off the page. Agrippa. Isn't Agrippa. that from, uh. Uh, Princess Bride, isn't there something about Agrippa? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, so the answer is I'd love to do more limited editions. Uh, um, I've tried and it didn't really seem to make any difference, so I stopped trying. But maybe I should try again. That was a while ago. Uh, who's our photographer of the week? You should do a limited edition of that sign. Yeah. <laughs> Why bother? Everyone's seen it on <laughs> Gowanus Your Butt Off or something. I couldn't let that pass. I'm sorry. <sighs> Bastard. Uh, photographer of the Week. Robert Kappa. The good looking. The wonderful. The famous. You like Bob Kappa? Uh, I do like his stuff. I like his stuff a lot. Um, I, I think he is... Uh, I think he's one of those photographers who uh, either captured or defined a generation with yeah. his work. Okay. You know? uh, I think that that's true. I, you know, it's so Kappa was one of the people who started, well, he's the guy who started ICP, you know, was based upon his brother, I think is his money, that kind of stuff. Uh, but he also, he was one of the co-founders of Magnum photo with Carter Bresson and Chim and, and George Roger and those guys. And I, rem- I saw in Chim, his sort of compatriot there, Magnum, I saw his show last week. And one of the things they talked about was that all their pictures, like during the Spanish civil war and before world war two and world war two, they saw what they were doing as propaganda. They saw themselves not as photojournalists, but as trying to frame the conversation in a certain way to get a mm-hmm. certain, to a certain end. They so were, they really had an agenda. They were sympathizers with a certain side in the Spanish okay. Civil War, and that so it just it kind of it changed my view of a lot of their pictures of that era. Interesting. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, look, the story behind the photograph right. can heighten it, can diminish it, can enhance it. I right. mean, it's – yeah, sure. And, and, you know, and so I think some people look at his stuff and say, oh, look at the stuff he recorded. And I kind of say, yeah, I think maybe what he was doing was uh, he was telling a story too. He had a point of view and it was not a neutral point of view, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily to say that it was wrong. It's just, you know um, – he uh, apparently Kappa is 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 the translation is shark, and it was his nickname in school. Wow! Yeah, and he thought it would be recognizable and American sounding, and it was similar to Frank Capra, uh, the film director. So he liked it. Interesting, right? Yeah, interesting. Uh, also interesting was that he was on the first wave of people who landed on D Day, right? 
Very famous set of photos, right? Yep. And shot, I think, three rolls of film or four rolls of film. And they had them rushed back to to Life magazine. And uh, famously, the uh, uh, they asked them to rush the pictures to get them for print. And uh, the technician, junior technician, put them in a drying cabinet and ruined almost all of them. I think there were like 11 or 12 frames out of four rolls that survived, mostly off the fourth roll. So he literally put his life on the line to get a set of pictures that they ruined Yeah, because it was film. See, had he shot digital people. Oh, um, They would have lost the SD card. But, but but you know, the picture of the guy with the machine gun, like in the water, that's all blurred, sort of motion blurred left to right. I mean, that those pictures, of the D-Day landings are the beginning of Safer Private Ryan. Like that's what it was based upon were these photographs. Um, And yeah, it's, it's, it was 11 photographs. Uh, He took 106 pictures. All but 11 were destroyed. Yeah. It would suck to be that guy. (laughs) Um, so he went around after the war and in the fifties, he was in, uh, French Indochina. He was in Vietnam essentially. And he walked up a hill and they heard an explosion and he had stepped on a landmine and died. Famously his, um, though he was sort of a rock star, you know, he was good looking. He is sort of what all like sort of war photojournalists imagine themselves being. I think he's the prototypical, like, gung-ho cocky masculine war photojournalist who also gets the women and drinks the booze sure you know he's that guy right um i think i think it's interesting kappa's stuff is you know i mean it's it's classic you can't you know what are you gonna say about it anyway that's all i say uh yeah i mean again it's 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 stuff that his work is is it's been it's been I don't know, appropriated, I guess, as uniquely American. You know, yeah. His, although, his, ironically, his, yeah. Go ahead. Ironically, considering he was born in what Hungary and he was shooting mostly in Europe. Yeah, yeah. I mean that 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 famous picture of the falling soldier in the Spanish Civil War. I mean, mm-hmm, it's sort mm-hmm. of there's there's talk that it was actually staged. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so there's also like the sort of eh. <laughs> so they they really told him you'll be fine. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, so I don't know. It's interesting. So go, you know, go look up some uh, Capra stuff. And his girlfriend, Taro, who was also uh, Gerda Taro, who was a big photographer at the time, uh, was also, you know, like a European Jew who photographer who was uh, married or the girlfriend and boyfriend. They traveled together and shot together. And it, it, you could argue that people back in uh, in in that day that women photographers didn't get what they should have gotten, you know? Sure. Um, just something to put out there. Yeah. No, I mean, look, read Dorothea Lang's story. And, yeah. and that was a, that was a fight Yeah, to be taken seriously. That shot of Trotsky on the picture you just sent me, the page you just sent me is awesome. Yeah. I mean, his work is beautiful. I'd love to see the original negatives to see if they're this contrasty and cool looking, you know? I'm yeah, still, some okay. beautiful work, though. Yeah. Really beautiful work. Anyway, uh, so Robert Kappa, good good stuff. Um, let's, let's wrap this up. What else? Uh, anything we want to say? I think I'm good. Go out, create something. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, ontakingpictures.com. You can get to the show notes and uh, 
uh, everything else. Links to it on uh, iTunes and the RSS feed and whatnot. Um, if you want to get a hold of us, send us an email at podcast at ontakingpictures.com. Yes. Or to our Twitters at Bill Wadman and at Jeffrey Storis, E R Y D one R. Yes. Or uh, the new Google Plus group and uh, go talk there. And we have way too many places to comment and whatever. Nah, uh, this is good. You think it's good? And then I, uh, you could also leave a voicemail if you want to talk to us 347 687 9411. Leave us a voicemail. Maybe we'll use it on the show. Hey, did, did we ever come to any sort of decision on, on doing a hangout? I mean, I know we, we want to do one, but did we I think did the fun just, will be just showing up one day. Just we happen to be there chatting and, yeah. and whoever wants to join in can join in. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That's, that's how we're going to do it if we do it. All right. Yeah, I like that. I like that. But keep posting stuff on the, on the, the, the community because we're loving that. Uh, yes. Oh, Hey, you know what? I'm going to close with this. Uh, Nicholas Govis, in fact, just posted something a little while ago. Uh, just stopped by the Howard Greenberg gallery in New York where you've been though. Love the Howard uh, Greenberg gallery. They have a Joel Meyerowitz 1981 seven and a half by nine and a half inch C print. Any idea how much they want for it? Uh, $10,000. 15. Yikes. Uh, yeah. It's good to be Joel Meyerowitz. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know what? I'm, screw this photography thing. I'm going to invent a time machine so I can go back and be a photographer back in the 60s because that's when it was at. Yeah, that's what it was at. Um, all right, go take pictures and we will talk to you next week. Yep, have a good week, everyone. Bye.